The government is ubiquitous in our societies, and public spending is very high. It's never been higher in history. And, and plenty of goods and services are provided by government. And, you know, some of these goods and services are actually instrumental for the career or the development of creativity of very creative people. That happens. Mm. Um, but it's not a policy. Mariana Mazzucato has been described as one of the world's most influential economists. She argues in The Entrepreneurial State that innovation and industrial growth come after high-risk investments by the state, using examples like the internet, GPS, and touchscreen display. This has become a fashionable justification for a greater state role in industrial policy, and you can really see the results of that in things like the Innovation Reduction Act in the United States and the EU's Green Industrial Plan. Welcome back to the IEA podcast. I'm Matthew Lesh, the Director of Public Policy and Communications here at the IEA. Each week, this podcast asks a tantalizing policy question to a top thinker. Today's question, what is wrong with the entrepreneurial state? To discuss, I'm very excited to be joined by Alberto Mingardi, who's the Director General of the Italian free market think tank, Bruno Leono Institute. Uh, he's also an associate professor at the IULM University in Milan, and he's written and edited several volumes on the entrepreneurial state, as well as being a regular media commentator. Welcome to the podcast, Alberto. Well, it's great to be here, Matthew. Thank you very much for having me. Let's start with the basics here. What is Mazzucato's entrepreneurial state thesis? Well, Mariana Mazzucato, who's really a tremendously influential economist, that has to be said, she basically... Um, at this moment, she won the debate. Most of uh, Western countries' governments are, are going in the direction she wished. Um, Mariana Mazzucato is basically claiming not a new role, but an old role for the state in shaping industrial policy, uh, which is, you know, it's... Um, it's what Adam Smith called the mercantile system, basically, in a new fashion. The idea is that uh, the government should be actively involved uh, in influencing the way in which uh, the private sector is managing the factors of production, or the government should be um, entering you know, uh, business uh, uh, with its own venues, with its own instruments. Uh, the novelty of Mazzucato's case, vis-a-vis uh, -vis older example of people, you know, preaching industrial policy, uh, is that in her book, uh, which is actually the offspring, so to say, of an earlier think tank study, um, what she's claiming is that whatever works, whatever is great. Uh, in the um, American economy, and particularly whatever comes with the flavor of technological innovation, is actually the result of government investment in research and development and, you know, in, in, in science, uh, basically. Uh, so uh, the novelty of her argument is not the argument itself, but instead of taking examples from countries, uh, that add industrial policy and claim they add it, like Italy or like England before Thatcher. Uh, she's claiming the American economy and innovation such as the iPhone as the product of industrial policy. So this is why her argument uh, um, was so welcomed by people. 
because people uh, were too were of two minds, so to say, about industrial policy. On the one end, they wished that the government could mobilize resources and just you know pour money aside. <laughs> Uh, yes, but on the other end, you know, they were confronted by the fact that, uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, who was coming uh, out with the greatest innovation? Well, that was the private sector. Uh, Mazzucato is saying, no, 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 it wasn't the private sector. The private sector was just uh, somehow benefiting yeah. of earlier uh, government investment. I think one of the key points here from her perspective is that uh, private enterprises are kind of free riding on state yes. investments. And the real underlying reason we get all these amazing innovative technologies is the state. So rather than seeing the state as responsible for fixing market failures, um, she makes the state responsible for market successes. Or in, in uh, the Barack Obama terms, uh, you didn't build that. I mean, I think he made that comment probably before she even wrote her book, which kind of tells you that there was already this, I suppose, political movement or economic thinking on the, the left side of politics, that there should be a greater role for industrial policy, that there should be a greater role for the state. And she's kind of, as I think you've been hinting at, the latest justification for, for that policy. It's not exactly new, this idea that the government should do industrial policy. She's just taking a, a slight rewriting or bastardization of 20th century American technological history and saying, that's all thanks to the government. Well, you know, in a way, I actually have a, a more charitable reading of the Obama quote, you didn't build that. Uh, I think that's absolutely true. I mean, nobody really built that uh, on their own or on on his own. Uh, that's true for Elon Musk, Steve Jobs, whatever, you know, innovation, even breakthroughs in innovation, in a sense, are always incremental and they're benefiting uh, they, they from also the environment. They grow off in, in, in institutional environment that enables them. You know, there's a reason why it's happening in America, because they have good institutions that, you know, relatively low taxes, relatively light regulation that enables people to build their companies. And also, you know, on the top of that, we, we should always remember that it, it's neither the state nor the market, whatever they are, that innovates. It's people. Uh, so the key thing is allowing people to experiment, to give it a go, and uh, uh, and, and try new things, uh, which is you know the old way of trying to solve uh, complicated problems. We we have a big issue. We have complicated problem. We have complexity, and we try to manage it by uh, incentivizing as many people trying to look into this stuff and coming out with a solution. Um, but. Uh, this is, at the very same time, very counterintuitive for human nature. Uh, we don't want many potential solutions. We want one solution. Uh, we always want, you know, um, basically um, the thing and, and not many possible uh, ways to solve a problem. And Mazzucato was appealing uh, to that. So the problem is that she provides uh, for this thesis uh, mainly anecdotal evidence, and, and some of this anecdotal evidence is actually quite ludicrous. So, for example, um, she thinks the touchscreen, uh, which is, of course, one big part of iPhone and, and, and contemporary mobile phone success, uh, is something we owe to the government. Now, touchscreen technology has been in development at least since the 1950s. It, it was something that was used in music. It has a very complicated and fascinating history. But when it comes to the iPhone, you know, basically the, the sort of touchscreen you got on the iPhone was developed by a guy 
um, who had different problems in mind and whose company at a certain point was bought by Bill Gates. Now, the guy came up with this idea uh, when he was a PhD student and his PhD scholarship uh, was paid by the government. As you know, it happens very frequently with scholarships of any kind. And then he had a startups and, you know, his startup was based upon this idea and one of the investors in the startups was actually the university uh, where he was working at the time. So this is the sort of evidence uh, that Mazzucato claimed for industrial policy being behind so, so, uh, so innovation by, as we know it. Pretty much by that logic then, anyone who went to school uh, that was a government-funded school uh, would be uh, any innovations that they went on to create any time later in their life you could attribute to the fact of their public education. And maybe to some extent there's some truth to that, which is to say if they didn't get their school education, maybe they would have never gone on to do something innovative. But it doesn't seem like that's a reason why we should well, my, suddenly my, inter introduce all sorts of different other industrial policies. My distinguished co-author, Dieter McCloskey, likes to say, uh, of course, um, Bill Gates drove on government highways. So that's the sort of logic. So he, he took a government highway to go to his office, henceforth, you know. Uh, it was government behind Microsoft. I think also there is another point, which is, you know, this sort of evidence is, uh, is telling you something that up to a certain extent we all know, which is, uh, you know, the government is ubiquitous in our societies. And public spending is very high. It's never been higher in history. And, and plenty of goods and services are provided by government. And, you know, some of these goods and services are actually instrumental for the career or the development of creativity of very creative people. That happens. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not a policy. You know, the thing that Mazzucato is actually claiming when she uh, speaks about industrial policy uh, is that we do have what she calls... Uh, mission-oriented directionality. So basically, what she really believes uh, is that at a certain point in history, uh, people who developed the GPS for military purposes, uh, they were military. I mean, they, they were about winning wars. They were not about allowing you to uh, find where you parked your car. Mm -hmm. uh, she kinds of believed that uh, these people somehow envisioned uh, the development of this particular thing. And then, you know, basically the private sector is marketing. That's, that's what it is. Yeah. Um, but, you know, even if you take uh, her evidence, her anecdotal evidence seriously, and in some case you can, in some case she, she actually uh, is completely missing uh, the points. But even if you take that uh, seriously, that is really about some very local decision uh, by people who happen to be working in a government university at a certain point in time. Uh, it's not the Manhattan Project. Uh, uh, it's not going to the moon, uh, which is instead uh, what she preaches. Uh, she thinks, you know, we need to go to the moon uh, every six months. Uh, she thinks that problems like climate change future pandemics or the health sector uh, should be addressed, you know, with this sort of yeah. uh, mentality and, and with this sort of uh, programming, uh, really. It seems to and me she, she picks a small number of convenient cases 
um, greatly exaggerates the role of the state in terms of their technological development. If you think about something like the internet, well, yes, indeed, there was government funding and you know, defence uses of the internet, but that's not the reason why the internet became a consumer uh, and, and business um, uh, gigantic part of our economy. It's because of all the subsequent investment into the technologies that was done by the private sector and even the underlying technologies, as I think you discussed as well, go back to things like Cisco that were not state-funded. I think you, you could say the same for the iPhone. You know, the reason why the iPhone was such a, a runaway consumer success and then copied was not, because, not even necessarily because the iPhone or the idea of a smartphone was completely new. Um, and it's only not because one part of the technology can be linked back to a government-funded PhD when it comes to the touchscreen. It's because of the immense amount of, of innovation that the private sector did to actually bring that useful, in a useful way to the consumer market, um, which has, you know, the underlying science here is being, I suppose, exaggerated compared to the just figuring out the logistics problem of how you produce millions of these goods and get them into people's hands, let alone the, all the other technologies that go into them. Well, uh, please don't forget that, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, a, a good chunk of the innovating is done by consumers. I mean, um, some Japanese guy at a certain point uh, put a camera into a phone. It was not a mobile phone at first. It was actually, uh, you know, a house phone, the first camera in the phone. Now, the guy didn't have a clue uh, that one day we will be living in the society of Instagram. And we know that because if he had a clue, he would be tremendously rich just by speculating on such a future. Um, so at the end of the day, you know, technologies are good or bad uh, to the extent to which they actually meet a need by people, by consumers, um, which is not Matsukato's view. I mean, Matsukato's view is basically that technologies are, are good in themselves, that, you know, um, and that basically the only thing that stops um, technological advancement is actually the market. And it is the market on a variety of fronts. First of all, because, you know, some, some technologies are not particularly liked by consumers. And, and sometimes consumers go for technologies that are seen by experts as inferior. You know, the quintessential case is Betamax versus VHS. You know, uh, all the people that really like the quality of image, they, they all worship Betamax, even though I think Betamax has been out of commerce for whatever. Uh, VHS, that was something that we used to watch movies well before you were born. Uh, VHS uh, was clearly uh, less good when it comes to the quality of the image, uh, but it was more convenient because it allowed people to record longer movies on a single cassette, on a single tape. Um, so she basically rules out any sort of uh, consumer input uh, into making goods what they are. And also she believes that the market is ultimately detrimental to somehow the, you know, let's call it the innovation rate of a society. Uh, because of course, uh, uh, since the consumers are in the driver's place, um, investment funds from time to time cut projects and programs. They say, you know, this, this thing uh, look promising, but it's not turning out to be profitable. So let's stop financing it. Her idea is that the government is the best possible um, funder of innovation, basically because the government is the thing in the world which is closer to have no problem of scarcity of capital. 
So no need to allocate capital choosing between uh, different potential uses. Henceforth, you know, whatever the scientists are going to be proposing uh, to you, the government can fund. And, uh, of course, this is based uh, upon a vision uh, of government, which is quite idyllic, uh, that basically thinks that there is no conflict of interest uh, in government. It also sounds uh, like, it, I mean, it depends on having, like, unlimited resources. That Because the, yes. when, the, when the government does industrial policy, which, you know, a mission-oriented industrial policy, which is, so, so if, if I'm getting this right, so Mazzucato starts with, you know, a lot of these innovations happen because of government investments, a story that she greatly exaggerates. And then she derives from that, you know, sometimes unintentional, coincidental innovation that comes out of some underlying technology, that therefore the government is in a place to direct towards that goal and has the, the resources, the ability, the expertise, the foresight, you know, the, the um, all-knowing eye and power to be mission-orientated and pick kind of individuals, I suppose, companies to give money to who will develop the innovative products of the future. Now that that seems to run straight into you know, every logical um, fallacy we know about bureaucrats who are just as dumb as the rest of us. They don't have superhuman powers and they certainly don't necessarily know how to allocate capital any better than a private sector investor. Well, you know, she thinks clearly uh, that the uh, greedy attitude, so to say, of the private sector uh, is dooming it to be short-sighted. Uh, which is not a very unpopular view. Actually, it's quite a popular view these days. Uh, and of course, you know, this sketch of all-powerful government and all-knowing government uh, is clearly something which is very palatable to politicians and, uh, and, and bureaucrats themselves. Um, it is also something that, particularly with the challenges we face today, uh, seems to be postulating um, that we know more about the answer to a problem that we actually know. So the idea is basically that, you know, uh, climate change, we know what to do. The only problem is that we don't have enough money to finance the transition uh, and that, you know, people are not actually going in that direction their way. So if this is the situation, uh, what we need to do is simply pouring money uh, at the solution that are already ready to be developed, uh, and also, uh, you know, uh, force people, I mean, nudge them uh, in the right way. Now, it seems to me uh, that this idea is greatly exaggerated. I mean, we, we know there is a problem, but we don't know pretty, we don't know clearly as much about the solution as these people like to postulate. Um, but it's, you know, basically the idea, and, and this is uh, an idea which is more popular than ever uh, in among the Western elite. Um, the idea is that, you know, these problems, we don't need to find a way to tackle with them. We know the way to go. Uh, you know, there is only this, there are only these obstacles, which, yeah. are, which are, you know, needs of... Let, let's let's get into that a little bit more specifically, which is, and I, I think the latest manifestation of the entrepreneurial state thesis, as I mentioned at the start, is this Inflation Reduction Act, which seems to have very little with, to do with reducing inflation, but does mean some quite significant green subsidies in the American context. And then in the EU, you have the Green Deal Industrial Plan. There's a lot of discourse in the UK, at least, that oh, we're falling behind the Industrial Relation, uh, so the Inflation Reduction Act. 
are falling behind what the EU is doing. We're going to lose, uh, say, give, give an example that's being subsidised quite significantly, battery manufacturing to other jurisdictions. Um, we really need to have an industrial strategy. The, you hear this constantly from British politicians on, I, I hate to say it, on all sides of politics, and that the UK needs an industrial strategy. It needs a plan for industry, and it particularly needs a plan for green industry. Um, I'm, I'm kind of wondering what, what you make of those specific claims and the impact of those policies. Well, I think that the impact is going to be a massive uh, misallocation of resources. Um, I think it's it's more complicated than there because, uh, you know, in the U.S. particularly, this goes together uh, with a strong nationalist drive, which you need to buy American and, and, and what the yes. government has been doing. And the EU is very annoyed with the U.S. for this fact. Well, the EU is very annoyed with the US for this fact, but at the very same time, uh, the EU response is, okay, we'll do the same. Yes. Uh, which is ridiculous. I mean, in a way, you know, if, if there is one point which is, which is a kind of amazing, which, you know, the mercantile system, as we said before, was debunked theoretically by Adam Smith in 1776, but this is the same thing. Uh, uh, you know, once again, it's not a problem. They're not shopkeepers anymore. They are, they are uh, uh, you know, uh, green company, ESG, uh, um, airplane manufacturer, whatever. But clearly, you've got very powerful interests. Um, these powerful interests are clearly uh, successful in, in, in dressing, you know, their interest up uh, as a very noble cause. They've always been, so they, they, they're still these days. And what we are doing with this sort of industrial policy on the two sides of the Atlantic is actually something which is far worse than building an entrepreneurial state. Uh, we are actually trying to destroy, we are actively trying to destroy the basic architecture of globalization. Uh, and, and the basic idea behind globalization, which is that companies are at freedom to trade and search for factors of production yeah. whenever they, whenever it's convenient for them. Yeah. Uh, we are putting that in jeopardy very seriously. And, and the consequences of these are going to be um, uh, clearly uh, raising prices uh, in many ways. I, I know historians of the future will dispute if we had basically 30 years inflation-free because of independent central banks or because of globalization and the growing economic integration. Certainly, nowadays, we have neither. <laughs> Our yeah. central banks are not independent, and globalization is, uh, is, you know, it's not stopping in the sense that trade is going on. And, and, and one thing is announcing something or declaring something yeah. or, or saying something. Another thing is, is changing uh, international supply chain, but clearly, I mean, the idea ultimately is to um, is to have government picking not just winners, uh, but picking you know the partners you can trade with, which is far worse than whatever Mazzucato has yeah. proposed. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. I think you're right there. Identify as interesting mix. So in the first instance, it's justified as well. I think batteries is a good example. We need to construct batteries in the US and not in China. Now, buy American then becomes also we're not going to buy European, which doesn't make any particular logical sense because it then goes to the second stage, which is this kind of protect, classic protectionism and, and need for domestic industry. Um, and that seems to me like it's ultimately going to push up the cost of, of um, uh, reducing climate change and green policies. If, it, if you're making it more expensive and you're 
misall- as you've said, misallocating resources towards potentially an inefficient domestic company to produce batteries, wouldn't it be better to find the cheapest place who can produce batteries of the highest possible quality? And that will enable a green transition much faster than picking winners, often picking losers, or whoever is best at seeking subsidies from the government. On the top of that, you know, uh, going the direction that you um, indicated would actually be better in order to incentivize places like China and India uh, to consider this one of their problems. It's called global warming. It's not called European warming or English warming or American warming. Uh, and, and clearly, you know, if, if you need to come up with some sort of um, solution, if it is possible at all, I don't really think that this problem can be solved. I think you can adapt, you can move towards a different direction, but I think it's, it's quite utopian to, to believe that, you know, tomorrow morning we are switching this off. Hmm. But still, you know, if, if you want to move in any direction which is sensible, uh, you cannot do it simply uh, among Western countries uh, that are responsible for a teeny tiny fraction of the world pollution these days. And clearly, you know, if you alienate uh, the rest of the world from the West, uh, then you cannot knock at their door and ask them to comply, you know, with whatever idea that came to your mind concerning uh, global warming. Also, I think that, you know, this 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 idea of French shoring somehow, it's, it's even worse than all-style protectionism. Because at least all-style protectionism um, was, a, you know, was a blunt political move. It was clearly something that you did in order to make some of your voters uh, happy. Uh, French shoring is, that, is a way of dressing it up with ideological motives. Uh, but the main reason we trade is that we want to have stuff we don't have uh, and we cannot make by uh, ourselves. This is why we trade with people that are typically not our friends, people mm. that we don't know. Uh, having trade simply among countries that have a similar level of development, uh, it seems to me to be a, a, an extraordinarily stupid idea. Mm-hmm. Well, on that fascinating note, uh, it's been a, a very good discussion, I think, about the entrepreneurial state and, I guess, the latest ap- application thereof and, and adaption thereof. And um, Alberto Mangati, uh, thank you so much for joining Thank you I- so I- much for podcast. having me. Um, if you are enjoying the AI podcast, uh, please do subscribe on your chosen podcast provider. And you can also learn more about the IEA by visiting iea.org.uk. Thank you.